0: the power pack of the body is directed through what we're attached to, and that we are organized more around what we love, whether that's a thing or a person, than what we think. And so how, if we want to be wise, deal with reality as it is, not as either we wish it were or we perhaps wrongly learned it to be, we have to deal with the attachment center of the human.
1: Friends, it's Morgan and Sherry Snyder, and welcome back to part two of a podcast series with the Become Good Soil podcast, where we are exploring one of the deepest spiritual realities made available to the human in repairing our attachment to God, of recovering secure attachment, of the deepest expression of what it means to come home. As we dive into this, I want to lean into a prayer from the 14th century from Thomas Kempis, where he says this, Above all things and in all things, O my soul, rest always in God, for he is the everlasting rest of the saints. Grant, most sweet and loving Jesus, that I may seek my repose in you. For my heart cannot rest nor be fully content until rising above all gifts and every created thing, my heart rests in you. Friends, we want to explore this resting in God. We want to explore with curiosity and consent what does it mean for more of my being? to become attached to more of God's life. I'm going to begin this conversation with Sherry with a story. Jim Wilder recently wrote a book titled Renovated, and he was a man who walked very intimately with Dallas Willard. This was written after Dallas Willard crossed into the kingdom. But in Jim's introduction, he offered a fascinating quote from Dallas. Dallas said at the end of his life, in the last year of his life, what I have learned in this last year is more important than what I learned in the rest of my life. Now, Friends, just pause. Dallas Willard, one of the great theologians that has helped us as a ministry recover more of the gospel, after six decades of walking with God, Dallas says, what I have learned in this last year is more important than what I have learned in the rest of my life. Sherry, that causes me pause. And that causes me to lean in and be curious. What is it Mm -hmm. that he learned? How could it be so important? How could it shape everything in his life. And as we know from diving into his life and his story is it was the message and the experience of secure attachment.
0: Right. Forming a new attachment to God as the primary definition of Christian salvation.
1: Friends, this is an introductory series on this idea of forming attachment with God, of recovering a secure attachment of restoring and repairing the bond that we were designed to have with a father and with a mother that fundamentally at the core of the gospel is a mission of reparenting our souls. And what's so hopeful about the message of the gospel is all these places that have caused damage where we are in disrepair, where we lack healthy attachment, we're in a condition of insecure attachment, and they cause our life to go sideways. Jesus is in the business of restoring those places, of healing those bonds where we can become the kind of people, as we shared in episode one, that have a deep and lasting joy, a well being, a peace in our body, a strength in a stature from the inside that allows us, in partner with God, connected to this fuel source to navigate a world that feels often impossible.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yep. So Sherry, let's review. When mm-hmm. we're talking about attachment, what is it that we are meaning by that? Yeah,
0: exactly. Okay. More great question. When we're talking about attachment, we're talking about How the pleasure and peace centers of the body or the the systems in the body that cause us to feel good in our bodies, both good at peace and good in terms of gladness and energetic joy, how those were meant to be attached to other humans and healthy relationship to nature and to God, and that in Our fallen world, what happens is that, um, first of all, our attachment faculties aren't developed well because none of us had perfect attachment with our caregivers early on in life. Secondly, those underdeveloped faculties of attachment become misattached. We become attached to substances to help us feel at peace or vitally alive in our bodies. We become attached to unhealthy relationships. Um, to give us those sensations of feeling vitally alive or at peace in our body, and you know, it could be said again. We talked about this last week that 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 the condition of sin in the human is misattachment—that pleasure and peace center of the body attached to things that bring harm to us and others—and that God is about redeeming us and to be redeemed as a human. Um, if we if we step back and really study what a human is. And unfortunately, because of the um, enlightenment, we, we receive that definition of I think, therefore I am. That a human, the definition of a human is the capacity to think. And what we're really um, learning afresh, and this is through research on addiction and um, modern neuroscience, is that to be human is to be a creature who attaches. <laughs> mm, mm. And um, actually thinking is definitely a part of being human, but that the the power pack of the body is directed through what we're attached to, and that we are organized more around what we love, whether that's a thing or a person, than what we think. And so how, if we want to be wise, deal with reality as it is, not as either we wish it were or we perhaps wrongly learned it to be, we have to deal with the attachment center of the human and jesus has provided for that
1: right so what what we think actually flows out of who and what we love and who and what we love can be healed restored and recentered on the very source in which it was intended to be attached Mm -hmm. i know last week share we talked about the idea of being the apple of someone's eye Mm -hmm. the apple of god's eye Mm -hmm. And Alan Shore is a researcher at UCLA, and he pioneered in the field of neuroscience and neuroimaging. And he was asked this question that we're reflecting on, what is the core human need? And this is how he responded. He said that the core human need is to be that sparkle in someone's eye. Mm -hmm. The experience of having one who is greater and more mature than myself to reflect, I am glad to be with you. I am so happy you exist. I am so happy to be with you. This is the turnkey of human well being. It's just fascinating to think it all actually hinges on this. And, friends, if you've tracked with Wild Heart, you know we were recovering the larger story, yes. right? That the, the centrality of the gospel is we are not the epicenter, mm-hmm. that there is a relational core. To the nature of reality, that we are born into that community of personhood, right? The heroic Trinity, as John talks about in epic, and in that place we find our home, we find our attachment, we find our sense of worthiness, of love and belonging, and it's from that place that we're meant to navigate a world that's very treacherous at many turns. And friends, we live in a very steeped culture in in Western civilization of individualism. And I believe in this day and age on the earth, hyper individualism is one of the primary atmospheres in which we find ourselves. And so it is a rescue. It is a lifeline to return to the belief that we were not meant to live alone. We were not meant to live alone, even in our faith by ideas. We were meant in our faith. To live in relationship with a person, the person of God, to be attached to that person, connected that person, to receive the delight from this person that says, I am glad to be with you. Exactly. That there's nothing we can do. The scriptures say in 2 Timothy, that when we lack faith, God remains faithful mm-hmm. because he won't compromise who he is. Totally. That that gaze is always upon us, but the question is how— And when will we turn to receive it?
0: Correct. Exactly. How do we receive it? So Morgan and I today, as Morgan mentioned, we're drawing in part from the work of Jim Wilder and his book Renovated. And this was a book John Eldridge gave to Morgan and me after John wrote an endorsement for it. So this is something that's been meaningful to John Eldridge and to our Wild at Heart team, this idea of um, salvation as forming a new attachment to God. And to God's people. So, as you were saying, Morgado, what we learn from um, studying reality as it is, how God designed us is we were made to have reattachment to God and reattachment to a new human family. And as you have talked about so much, you know, when God says, "I set the lonely in families," that humans were made for healthy attachment with each other as well. And so, you know, sort of there really is no idea, no such thing as just me and Jesus. That it it is inherently. A um, a social, interpersonal experience to be a follower of Jesus. We attach to God and we attach to God's people. And so, Mark, what I wanted to reflect on was if we take this lens of of human attachment, these pleasure and peace centers of the body that are ideally attached to God and to other humans and to nature in a healthy relationship— But for all kinds of reasons, both are um, malformed through lack of attachment in early childhood and then misattached to substances, to unhealthy um, relationships, to achievement, to success, to validation. I know for me, I was just so craving, literally like a deer panting for water, not for God as I knew God, but for validation. Mm -hmm. I I was just like crying out for validation as a human you Know what is the provision in the gospel for this deep human need to be the sparkle in someone's eye? And I want to suggest that this aspect of God that the Hebrew word calls it hesed or hesed. I'm not not no Hebrew speaker here. I don't know where the um where the um emphasis is, but um the hesed of God, this attachment love of God. If we actually that covenantal love of God when it says that goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. When David wrote that in Psalm 23, the Hebrew translation is goodness and has said, this attachment love of God Um, throughout the Hebrew scriptures. If you look, this quality of God, that he has this covenant love, this committed steadfast love. Um, If we think of that as that is attachment love, that's the willingness of a greater being to commit, Himself, God's self, to humans, lesser beings, to say, I, I delight in you. I bless you. You are legitimate to exist. I bless you to grow, to multiply, to take up space. I'm here for you, and I'm going to accompany you on your path to maturity, that you can become the human that I meant when I created you. So this quality of covenant love that God has, and if we look, you know, if we take the Hebrew scriptures. And look even at how God describes himself in Exodus 34. We see that this quality of hesed, love, of attachment love, is central to God's character. And so for even as we translate to the New Testament, if we think about both in the life of Jesus and the life of Paul, how we can see how their bodies were calibrated around the love of God such that their bodies were actually being animated— Their pleasure and their peace was coming through this bond with the living God. And from there, they were able to stay relational, even under um, incalculable stress. So if you think about Jesus on the cross, he stayed relational. He was able to think about John and his mother. He was able to actively forgive those who were perpetrating against him. He stayed relational because he had been formed. His attachment center was... Um, completely whole. He was attached to his father. Therefore, he had this wealth of power in him that allowed him to stay relational even under terrible stress. And that's where we're going as humans. As we mature, as our bond of love with Jesus and with his people increases, we will become the kind of people who can stay relational under extreme stress such that we can even bless our enemies, love our enemies as Jesus said, and stay in the love of God, no matter what our circumstances are.
1: Sherry, it's so hopeful because what you're illuminating is this is different than mere willpower. This is different than faith or belief, but it's an actual connection with the life of God, right? It's actually a conduit of a supernatural substance. And as you share that, the story that comes to me I was in the National Art Gallery in London in in college. I had just given my life to God and I had actually went overseas to just purge myself of addiction and to find who I was. It was a pilgrimage of sorts. I'd never been in an art gallery and never taken a fine arts class. And I found myself in this religious art and you could get a pair of headphones for the audio tour and I didn't have the money for that. So I didn't have any kind of orientation to this, but I found myself at this piece of art that the title was the stoning of Stephen. And I remember immersing myself in this painting. And it was dark and it was violent and it was angry and it were people hating this man unto death and the light was shining on Stephen's face. He was aglow. He was looking beyond the visible world, right? He was looking not into heaven as a far off place, but simply into an unseen realm. He was lit up. His countenance was, well, there was a face shining on his face. And what you're saying, the ability to stay relational in the midst of terror, he was that man. He had become that man. He was a man at peace even though his death was imminent. And I knew so little about the life of God in his kingdom. But as you're sharing that kind of orientation, that piece of art comes to me. And I remember sitting there thinking, that's maturity. Maturity is becoming the kind of person I wouldn't have had the words at the time, but that's so rooted in God, that's so connected with God, that's so attached to this life of God that these worldly circumstances are of no consequence to what he's actually experiencing in the kingdom of God here and now and that which is to come. And so, as you said, it's so important to then look at the scriptures and see through this lens, the heroes of our faith, what they cultivated in their maturity was a deeper attachment to the life of God.
0: Morgan, by way of example, we've talked a lot about Paul. I'm curious if you could give us an example of where you see that attachment, his, his body being attached to God and that fortifying him in, in his writings.
1: Yeah, I love reflecting on his story because he was a powerful man who had a radical conversion, right? Deep repentance. And then he vanishes for 14 years. I think that's very significant. I wonder like what happened? Who did he become in those years and how did he become that person? And what comes out of that 14 year silence is this sustenance of God, right? He says, I've learned a secret. I've become content. Like he says, I'm doing far better than you think I should be doing. He's in jail, right? We know he's cold because he's offered a jacket and he's grateful for that. But he says, I've learned a secret. I've known life well-fed, and hungry. I've been with and without. It's not those things. I've found in every place I, I've become the kind of person who wherever I am and whatever I have, I can make it through. I, I am well. I actually have joy
0: mm-hmm.
1: through the one who makes me who I am. He's saying not because of a set of beliefs, but those beliefs are rooted in a person in a reality I am connected with God. I love in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, you know, this is a man who's been hungry, who's been tortured, who's been in many situations of deprivation in his life following God. And he says praise be to God our father, the father of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says you are the father of compassion and you are the God of all comfort. You comfort us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. And Sherry, just that causes me to pause. What sort of comfort right. has Paul received from God? In the story we know, shipwreck, abandonment. Stoning. Stoning, torture, Right. And yet his experience internally of his life right. is a man who's been comforted totally, and has had so much comfort that he says, we can comfort others out of this overflow of what we've received. He says, just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort which produces in you patient endurance of the same suffering we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our suffering, so also you share in our comfort. Mm-hmm. I'm just so struck in this passage, Sherry, how rooted it is in receiving comfort and out of that comfort being able to comfort mm-hmm. others. But that doesn't seem to align with his external circumstances.
0: Exactly, Mark. I know. I know, I know. I I think about, you know, as I listen to Paul, I'm just like, Lord, I want to know more of that. And I have tasted it, but I don't yet know in full what Paul is talking about. And I want more. And Morgan, I think about even, you know, um, you and I had a conflict this weekend and I ended up being late for our son's very, very important football game. And I was so grieved in myself And I projected my shame onto you. And so I distanced myself. I did not stay relational. I shut down um, for about 12 hours because of my own shame and projecting that you were angry and disappointed with me. And so I can see the gaps in my maturity. I'm not yet the kind of woman who can stay relational at all times. And I need more. I need more attachment to God and more comfort from him, more calibrating of my body, both my pleasure and my peace centers around the Trinity and around um, healthy relationships. So I just am standing here, and this podcast is just making me so hungry for more more attachment to God,
1: so friends, what we're chasing after is the possibility of this root cause analysis that what's below the presenting issue is actually, the problem and possibility of restoring secure attachment. It's things like the nagging experience of lack or an unsatisfied experience with our body, our complex relationship with food, our addictions and commitments to feel good, no matter what the cost to ourselves and to others. Our dysfunctional relating with others. Or, as Sherry, you said, our inability to stay relational Mm -hmm. when we're under distress. And even that unshakable sense of disconnection from God. What we want to suggest is all of these things are rooted in damage in core places of attachment. There's a brilliant book written by Robert Karen. Called Becoming Attached. And in this, he has a collection of research that was done over the mid to late 1900s, all in the category of secure attachment. He has a fascinating story of a young boy named Derek who found himself thieving in a lot of situations, persistent stealing, truancy, staying out late. What was interesting about this boy who they went to study was he appeared to come from a normal, happy family with sensible, affectionate parents, an older brother who seemed perfectly well adjusted. And Derek's infancy seemed unremarkable. But at 18 months in his story, he had contracted diphtheria and he went to a hospital. He remained in that hospital for nine months without ever seeing his parents, which was the standard procedure at that time. The hospital staff adored him, but when he came home, he was a stranger He called his mother nurse, and he showed no affection. His mother said, It seemed like I was looking after someone else's baby. Derek so stubbornly refused to eat that he finally allowed himself to starve for a time. After a year and a half, he seemed to settle down, but he remained strangely detached, unmoved by either affection or punishment. Friends, we're talking about a condition... Of the soul that's a war that affects every human person. And even in this situation, you hear it was a loving home, but there was a moment where this person was withdrawn from the primary female caregiver. They were without the care that they needed. The hospital attended to every need, it was a jovial staff. But what the soul needed was secure attachment, consistent care by a caregiver. And what's important about this story is the person goes through just the classic phases of insecure attachment that lead eventually to a stage of detachment. And so in part one, we talked about insecure attachment. In part two, I just want to name the next level that we often see as the inability to attach to healthy relationships to healthy people and healthy things.
0: Yeah. So friends, as you know, I know for me, as I listen to Derek's story, I just have, I feel so much grief. And two things that I want to say, then, Mark, I'd love for you to close our time. First of all, if you have in your story a history of severe neglect, severe abandonment, um, we would urge you to find a counselor to help you there's degrees of neglect. It's been said trauma comes to us in two forms. One is things that happened to us that never should have happened to us, and then things that didn't happen to us that we needed to have happened. So things done against us that should never have ever happened, and then things that we failed to receive that we needed. So please take a moment and ask Jesus, what does he have for you in this area of attachment? And we do urge you to seek out a counselor or a pastor or find someone in your kingdom family who can connect with you on this because these are this is core, core, and especially if you have a very, very severe wound like Derek to your attachment. Many of us, if not all of us, have some wound to our attachment because as John and Stacy have encouraged us, as Morgan and I want to encourage you, none of us are perfect parents. None of us have perfect parents we all have some degree of wounding on the spectrum of of wounding and malformation of our attachment center. Even if we had had perfect parents, the job of the parent would have been to release us eventually to attach to God because as we mature as a, into adulthood, our attachment centers need to come to God, to our closest relationships to nature, eventually to our own kiddos in healthy attachment. So the good news is that Jesus is making available through direct fellowship with his spirit and then through his people to have our attachment center healed. And um, that's just life-changing, Morgan. And Mm -hmm. I so appreciate that we can look to Paul, we can look to Jesus, and see these humans who had their attachment center healed so that they could feel so deeply for other humans. Paul says in Thessalonians, he goes, I love you, with the affection of Jesus, like a nursing mother. I mean, this love that Paul had for the congregation of Jesus followers. And then Jesus saying, I love, like as the father has loved me, so I love you, this quality in Jesus and Paul to love other people that came from their healthy attachment to God. They received God's love ongoing and were able to love others as they loved God and live free from the dominion of sin and from Satan and from the world. So that's what we're after. That's what Jesus is providing. And so Morgan, I'd love for you to just close our time.
1: Yeah, I actually love that that's where you went because I wanted to close our time on love, Mm -hmm. um, on the idea of receiving love as a way of healing secure attachment. Yes, absolutely. We had the privilege of officiating a wedding uh, several weeks ago, and it took me back into 1 Corinthians 13, right? The classic wedding passage. Love is patient, love is kind, love is not proud, it does not boast. And honestly, when most people hear that, it feels like pressure, it feels like a standard, it feels like I will never measure up. One more thing I need to do that I can't do, right? But as you're talking about Paul, Sherry, and the fruit of a man who has healthy, secure attachment, what's fascinating is I wanna reframe this passage. My favorite translation is Dallas Willard's translation where he says most interpretations of this passage actually are very debilitating because they don't accredit love to God as the source, that actually God is love. because Paul says in it, 1 Corinthians 13, If I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but have not love. I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. He says, if I have the gift of prophecy, the faith of all mysteries and all knowledge. If I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. He says, if I give all I possess to the poor, I give my body over to hardships that I may boast, but have not love, I gain nothing. And the, the phrase in that that's so important is when Paul says, but have not love. He's not talking about love as a verb in this context. He's talking about it as an actual noun. It's actually the life of God, right? That God is love. It's out of First John, right? I have love. I have God. God is love. Love comes from God. And so when he's teaching in this passage, what he's announcing is the person he's become, he has been comforted. He's been provided for. He has restored his secure attachment. And so he's saying, God is patient. God is kind. God does not envy. God does not boast. God is not proud. God does not dishonor others. He is not self-seeking. God is not easily angered. God keeps no record of wrongs. God does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. God always protects. God always trusts. God always hopes. God always perseveres. God never gives up. He always looks for the best. He never looks back. And God keeps going to the end. Friends, that is what God is offering to you and to me. That is God's life. That is God's intention. That is God's substance. That is God's personal power and his gentle care that's available to you. It's not try harder. It's would you receive more of that God into more parts of your story. And so, God, we do invite you. This is who you say you are. And so we are asking for you to come. And we are opening the gates of our kingdom that the king of glory can come in. You, God, the one who always trusts, who always looks for the best, Who never looks back, the God who goes until the end. God, you are the one who doesn't fail. You are patient. You are kind. You are always protecting, always trusting, always hoping, and always persevering. And so, God, I pray that you would increase our capacity to turn to you, to let your gaze shine upon us, that we would lift our countenance and see your countenance face-to-face like the face of Stephen, that we would be so aglow, that we would be so well in our body, in our mind, in our spirit, in our thinking, our imagination, in every aspect of our soul, that we would be able to move and live and love in the world in which you've set us as the kind of person who can comfort others because we've been comforted, to bring joy to others because we have a wellspring of joy, to bring refreshment to others because we are the ones being refreshed. God, we are made for attachment. And we are asking, would you heal these places in need of attachment? God, would you help us by your grace to relinquish the control we've exerted on things and people demanding that they satisfy us, that we would release those with open hands. And we would allow you by your love to reattach us to you. As the center and the source of our life. Amen. Friends, you're brave and you're the few and you're rare. So thank you for risking and traveling with Sherry and I through this introduction in the category of secure attachment. Uh, For those that want to dig deeper, there's a Become Good Soil podcast episode called Maternal Deprivation that you might check out. And in the meantime, You have episode one and episode two of the series, and we'll be back together with you for our third and final part of this series. As always, friends, by way of transitioning from this episode two of the three-part Become Good Soil podcast on coming home, we're going to offer a one-minute pause. And in this pause, the prayer is simply this, Father, what is it? That you are bringing. Holy Spirit, how are you mothering me in these places of secure attachment, places of repairing my need to attach to you, God? And Jesus, where are you wanting to bring resurrection life, bring your life and your breath into places that have died in me, parts and places that have gone dormant? Parts and places that have become detached from you and have attached to other things and other people. God, I give the fullness of me to be access to the fullness of you. And I ask in this minute and in this moment, would you come and minister to my places of need, restoring, repairing my attachment? to come home to the place for which they were intended to live. Friends, enjoy this minute, and we'll be back together with part three of this series on the Become Good Soil podcast.